people just like you have taken the brave step to do this thing we call work differently. They tell their self-unlimited story to inspire and encourage you. Another story begins now. Today, it's my great pleasure to be talking with Jackie Williamson. Hi, Jackie. Hi, Helen. Lovely to be with you. Now, I've invited Jackie to the podcast conversation today because Jackie has made an interesting choice in her workscape, and I thought she might explain to us what she did and why she did it. With no further information than that, Jackie, I'm going to hand it over to you to kick us off wherever you'd like to start. Oh, sure. Thanks, Helen. Well, I think you're probably referring to the fact in simplest terms that I chose to leave a role that I had been in, which was a permanent part-time role as an employee, and give myself some time off before then working out what I would do next. And I made that decision very consciously um, and with some lead up. So for context, I had been in a job that I absolutely loved. I was there for about four and a half years, permanent part-time role, walking distance from my home, which gave me great joy, able to lead a team, working part-time, absolutely loved it. Over the course of the time that I was there and towards the, the sort of the last, the tail end of it, the work remit expanded considerably and it was very evidently no longer a part-time job and I worked out that it wasn't sustainable. So over the course of the last probably six to eight months that I was there, I made that call and I did some things to try to get some greater support, unlock some greater support and brought on somebody to take one part of the team, which helped. Then I gave myself a couple more months once that was in place to see if I could rekindle the joy now that the work was a bit more manageable again. And I worked out that, that no, I couldn't. I had been there for a while. I could see that whilst I still had more I could learn in that role, I could see the learning curve was going to start to plateau. I felt that someone else could come into that role and could probably add a fresh perspective and a fresh energy now in better service of the organisation. And I could tell that I was quite exhausted. Obviously, the context of all of this happening was also COVID and remote working and remote schooling for my two young children, <laughs> um, and, you know, 2020 and 2021 and all the joys that that brought. So I could tell that I was at a point of fatigue, that I didn't have the energy to be able to keep doing that role well to the quality that I would like to do it and look for the next step and be confident about what I wanted to do mm. in my next step. I thought if someone were to offer me my dream job tomorrow, I probably wouldn't recognize it. I'm too tired to be able to see it clearly. Mm. And that's and a key I like point, it. I think, that just that moment of understanding that if you were to leave and go to something else, that's a big decision. But are you in the right mindset for one of these big decisions? Absolutely. And I have always, I've learned, and I can elaborate on this if you like, but I've learned over prior experience to, to be intentional about my career choices and to not jump. I didn't want to jump out of the frying pan into the fire, so to speak. Not, not that it was a frying pan, but I, I wanted to be deliberate about making the choice. And I thought, well, the key thing I need is to restore my energies um, and have some time and space and then be deliberate about that reflection. Mm. So it, it worked out well. I was able to actually give my boss an extended period of, of notice, which meant that she was able to recruit my replacement. I was able to help on board that replacement. I felt like I was able to help set my team up for continued success because I still cared very much about, about them as people, about the work and about the organisation. Uh, I didn't need to do that, but that felt important to me. So I finished up there at the end of October so that allowed me also to kind of set my own timing to say, well, actually, end of October would be nice to finish up because then mm. I will give myself November, December and January 
I will give myself a summer holiday, essentially, mm. a long summer summer holiday. And then in the new year, once my kids are back at school at the end of January, beginning of February, then I will turn my attention and my energy to what comes next and what's my next chapter. One of the things that I think is particularly significant about that is that you had that control of the timing because often when people are leaving a job, there's a sense of I've got to find the next job. And so in some ways, while you're still working in the current job, your mind's looking for the next job. So you're not actually present. And then at the point that maybe you get that job, there's a very quick, like I've got two or four weeks with giving notice and handing over and transitioning, which can feel a bit rushed. And, and so what I'm hearing is you got to have a nice way of bringing one chapter to a close. Yeah, and I think because I had seen it, you know, as I mentioned, there was a period where that role was unsustainable. There was a period of time where I was working to make it more sustainable, splitting it back out. So there was a timeline around that. And I was setting myself sort of markers through that process to go, okay, once that person's on board and that workload's more manageable, then I'll give myself some time to see if I can rekindle the joy. So I'd set myself a series of sort of time markers over the course of the year, which meant that in the back of my mind, whilst I, I was absolutely still very present in the role, I had a kind of a particularly financial kind of exit strategy around, okay, well, if this turned into a period of time where I was off, you know, being able to kind of lay the groundwork for that. Aided somewhat by the fact that during COVID, we weren't going to restaurants or travelling anywhere, so there was some money in the kitty that there probably wouldn't have been otherwise. Well, and I think that's an important part too, because many people can think, I can't leave this role until I have the next role to go to, which can have a number of aspects to one of which is financial. And then, and so what I'm hearing is for you, there was a, a conscious choice. If I am going to make this decision in the future, then where does the finance sit? So maybe there's something to comment on about that. But I think there's also to the element of perception of family and friends and colleagues of like, but what are you going to do? There's this kind of sense that maybe you've become untethered in the world. Yeah. Finances, I think, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate and I'll declare that insofar as I've, you know, my partner works in a permanent full-time role with a, with a decent salary. We have been financially sort of conservative and forward planning over the course of our partnership. So we, you know, have our debt at manageable levels um, and superannuation, which I'll, I'll touch on as well. You know, I've always worked very deliberately to top up my superannuation more than the requirements. So I felt like I had my financial bases covered. Nice. Um, and I felt like I could be clear about allowing myself a certain period of time to have the time off. I think a couple of things to your point about or your query about, you know, how would people perceive it or what might that cause me to think about perception of having some time off. I think a couple of things in my story up to that point have helped. So I think funnily enough, being a parent and having taken time out for parental leave and then having worked full time and then having worked part time means that I already have a much more flexible idea about what constitutes um, a career and a career path than you might if you're someone who has always worked full-time permanent role employee. So I've already already had my eyes opened to that, you know, with two rounds of parental leave, I absolutely can take a year off completely immersed in something else and then come back into a, a place of employment and be completely immersed in that again or find a new balance for myself that is between family and, and employment or work. So I've already experienced that. I think also I had in a previous life or previous you know, role, I worked for one large organisation where, as these organisations do, they restructure with nauseating frequency. And over the course of the eight and a half years that I was there, I had three roles made redundant. Wow. I hasten to clarify, it's not a reflection on performance. <laughs> At least I was assured it wasn't. Yeah. But, you know, these roles, these mm. organisations 
restructures, different things yeah, are yeah. needed and roles are made redundant. And over the course of that time, the first redundancy, I was petrified. I was, you know, even though I had actually, by current standards of my life, I had no debt or commitments or obligations. I was very free, really. I was petrified. Mm. I found another role within the organisation, easily enough. By the time the second redundancy rolled around, I was much more empowered and ready to use that as an opportunity to actually seek a leadership role because I knew I was regarded as a high performer and they would want to retain me in that redundancy process. Um, so I was helped by people who looked out for me, keen to secure me in a new role, but I had much more agency that second time mm. around. And the third time around, I basically said, I'm not going to look for a new role in this, in this new structure. I'll take the cash. Thanks. Yeah. And then I gave myself about three months off with yeah. that little payout to go, okay, I've got the time to take a look around for something else. I then picked up a contract role, which got extended. And then again, at the end, when that contract role did finish, I again gave myself some time off. So I've already had periods in my life where I've been very deliberate about there's a reason why that came to an end. That allows me now to take a period off and be deliberately reflective about what I do next. This latest one of that didn't feel like such a departure given my, my previous experiences. I think in society we can have a great fear of this notion of that somehow not working means I'm not valuable, whether that's about I'm not contributing and I've my own sense of I'm doing something in the world, but also how others perceive us. And I do remember the first time that I got made redundant, which was in my 20s, early 20s. And I talked to somebody on a podcast conversation a, a year or so ago who didn't get to a point of being made redundant until something like in their 40s. So they mm. had 20 years of working history. And for them, it was this really fearful thing. Whereas by the time I turned 40, there'd been many times when jobs had come to an end. And to your point, I realized there's almost like a, a muscle memory or a new way of learning that you need to get to to realize these things come to an end. No, no work is guaranteed to go on forever, whether it's you choose to stop it or some external circumstances create a situation where you stop it. But we do seem to have quite a bit of a fear that when that thing stops, who am I and what can I do? And I think there's a, uh, for you, what I'm hearing is some learning about, well, what does it feel like to stop when maybe it wasn't in your control and you use the word agency. So I wonder if you might speak a little bit more about that notion of agency. Absolutely vital. And, you know, no one will ever care about your career as much as you do or should. Uh, and I did learn that very early on. And that early, that first experience of having a role made redundant really crystallised that for me. I had understood it conceptually before that and I had made one move from the first organisation I worked in after graduating from university off my own accord but I had sort of somehow still kind of bought into this notion that if you were in a larger organisation, career paths would naturally open up for you and things would, would, would move of their own accord. And you might be safe, whatever yeah. safe means. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that others would kind of shepherd or guide that. And, and I mean, certainly not to deny the absolutely critical role of the many people who have helped and guided and supported and coached me along the way. You know, to say that it's what I said about, you know, no one will ever care about your career as much as you do is not to say that others won't help you and not to say that you have to do it all on your own and you can't enlist support. But definitely you have to be the one catalyzing and driving it and you have to be the one reflecting on what you want out of it and seeking that support. The, the, the flip that I recall particularly, so I'm a member of a, of a Zonta, which is an international service organisation, a bit like Rotary, and I happened to have it particularly focuses on advancing the status of women. And I happened to have a meeting, a service activity I was doing with some Zonta colleagues the Saturday after I had been made redundant on that first, that first Friday. And 
so someone asked me during the course of the the session you know how are you Jackie how was your week and I said oh you know not that good actually my role got made redundant expecting kind of a chorus of pity and support and empathy no no this fabulous crew of women said oh well that's a fantastic opportunity right so how are you going to use it what are you going to make of it what help do you need how can we help you you know what are you what are you going to seek out of this and it was a complete flip for me into wow it's a gift yeah it is a gift yeah that that certainly shaped my attitude then when the next Mm. redundancy rolled around and shapes my attitude ongoing in terms of if something happens that's unexpected that's the nature of life that's complexity (laughs) your power is in how you respond to it yeah and And so those redundancies were a gift that was given to you what Mm. are you the decision you made last year in october was a gift you gave yourself yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As was a couple of the decisions leading into that. And, and as always, there is a combination of my effort, my agency in it, and then what the universe provides, so to speak, in response, you know, what chance unfolds around it and what beautiful people, opportunities provide themselves um, in, in response. So what did you do in this period of time? Well, this gift you gave yourself. Oh, it was magic. <laughs> it was so good. I highly recommend it. Because <laughs> there were so many people possibly were thinking, oh, so Jackie was probably sitting not quite on a beach with a cocktail because I hear she's got children, but, you know, maybe she was just having lunches with lots of ladies. Yeah, a few, a few of my team did tease me. I was going to lie on the couch and watch daytime TV because they know that's very much not my style. <laughs> um, so it worked out beautifully because my first week after finishing up, Kids went back to school, the end of lockdown, and the kids actually went back into the classrooms here in Victoria. Right. Hallelujah. So, I mean, I love my children, and we'd all been cooped up in the same house for the last several months, right? So <laughs> it was nice to have some space. So the first six weeks, really, they were back at school. I had time with them in the mornings and the afternoons and the weekends. And then during their school hours, I had beautiful time to myself. I walked, did tennis and yoga, physically moving my body felt really important. And I, I basically had not a to-do list, but a list of intentions or invitations for myself. Nice. And I crafted those very deliberately as things that were about self-care for myself. So exercise of those various kinds. And you can hear in those that they're quite solo activities like yoga and running. It was about quiet time for myself just to, just to process and unwind. I started playing the piano again. We have a piano and I had piano lessons as a teenager, but any time in the last 10 years that I've sat down at a piano in the house, I've had a small helper come and help me play piano. <laughs> um, so so I started playing a bit of piano again. Yeah, or just reading, reading for, for pleasure, for recreation, not reading anything professional development-wise. So just joy and relaxation, time for coffees with friends. And then the second six weeks um, was the school holidays. So that was a joyful time. We had, you know, grandparents here from interstate to celebrate Christmas and so forth, kids around, lots of barbecues and picnics and all those good things. And so I was ready for that very busy, happy social time because I had had six weeks of of restoration. And then right towards the end of January, so towards the end of my three months that I'd allowed myself off, I'd done very well. I was very proud of myself. All through that time, I had not had a, a moment's sense of guilt you know, that I should be looking for a new job. I had been, this is the time I'm allowing myself and I'm absolutely savouring it, deepening right into it, slowing into it and really enjoying it. Right at the end, about two days before we were due to come, we'd gone interstate to my folks and before we were due to come home, kids were about to go back to school and my three months was about to be up. And I just started to think ahead to, oh gosh, you know, what do I need to do? Not worry that I wasn't going to find something, but the brain started ticking over 
on, oh, how will I go about this? Who do I need to reach out to? What do I need to work on? And that day I received two completely unsolicited text messages from, from contacts, one from a friend and one from a professional contact, wanting to talk to me about some ideas and openings. <laughs> so I thought, thanks, universe, you've sent me the signal. I can just enjoy the last few days of my allotted time off and I can turn my attention to that next week because what you're telling me, universe, is there are going to be opportunities. You don't have to worry. It will come. Mm. And I imagine people might be listening thinking, gosh, Jackie's really lucky. However, I think what you're saying about being intentional, you probably had already laid the groundwork and the notion of relationships and letting people know what was going on and uh, being mindful about the sorts of things that you would share about your abilities so that you were on people's minds. Because I think that's something that people often feel is like, if I do this, I'm somehow going to become invisible and go out of sight. Yeah, it's an interesting question, and I had. I mean, I had been talking with friends and colleagues about the fact that I was going to give myself some time off, and I think that's exactly what happened. There were a couple of people who thought, oh, well, I can hear that you don't want to talk to me now in December, but might you want to talk to me in February? I'm like, sure, talk to me in February. <laughs> um, so I think that did help. But certainly the other lesson I had absolutely learned and that I you know, carry with me for sure out of those previous redundancies and changes in career is your way to your next job is not by pouring over job ads. You know, the way to your to your next interesting work, whether that's a permanent role or whatever it might look like, is through the people that you know and the interesting conversations that you have, who you reach out to and, and meet. And I, I don't mean that sort of friends for mates. I mean that is genuinely like you, Helen, you know, reaching out to having conversations with people who are interesting, who have areas of mutual interest, who I can learn from, who I can share something with. Um, we can provide some mutual support. That has definitely been something that I've learned how incredibly important that is. Yeah. And I think there's something about that support thing too, because many people I have noticed when they become employed inside of an organization, almost feel like, oh, there's a sense of relief, like I'm safe. Everything's kind of taken care of now in terms of who my social relationships will be, what the work I'm going to be doing, what my learning opportunities, the organization's going to shape that and decide that. And so part of the notion of being untethered is that, none of that's going to happen, which is a key idea in Self Unlimited, is that take responsibility for that even when you're inside an organization because you're going to need to be taking responsibility for it when you're not. And also, too, to your point about nobody cares about your career more than you, that's for me the notion of sovereignty. Like I am the sovereign, the king, queen of Helen Unlimited, and therefore I'm the one who needs to be making intentions and making decisions and thinking about because it's while I'm with that organization, largely that that organization will care about me, but I, over the course of my workscape slash life, will be with many organizations and they won't know necessarily about the organization that came before. They won't be thinking about the organization that may have come afterwards or the, the gaps that happen in between. Mm, that's interesting. Your point about, you know, when you're inside an organization, you don't necessarily think to look outside it for other contacts. It was interesting as you said that because I was suddenly aware of how far my thinking has come or has evolved in that over time. When you described that, I could recall myself feeling that way about that very large organisation I worked for many years ago where, you know, the, the roles got re- re- made redundant and restructured. But I haven't felt that way for a very long time, pretty much since I moved to Melbourne and have been moving between other organisations. I've moved away so far from that mm. to the point where, in fact, that last role that I was in, it was based in Camberwell. And one of the frustrations I experienced about it, whilst I love the role and love that location for other reasons, was that I found it much harder to be able to keep in contact with and catch up with easily and regularly with other people outside of that organisation. Mm. I, I think that's been one of the gifts of you know the pandemic and remote working is that now I don't need to always meet someone for a cup of coffee. 
in the city, I can catch up with someone over a quick Zoom chat. Yes. And I remember when you first moved to Melbourne, we were aware of each other virtually, probably through LinkedIn and other things. And you reached out to me and and asked, could we meet for a coffee and a chat? And hence the wonderful start of a great relationship. And I think for many people, there might be a sense of like, oh, I won't meet people until I'm inside of an organization, because that will kind of define who I should meet and what kinds of conversations I would have. And so this kind of notion of, and sometimes it gets called networking, which I think mm-hmm. people just think, oh, well, that's you just go to a meeting and you're standing around with a cocktail or a coffee and having a chat. And I think there's something much more than that, which possibly you would agree with. Oh, absolutely. I, I, again, that's another one of those ones where I realise how far my thinking has evolved on a particular topic or word. And I observe people's adverse reaction to the net word networking, like, oh, that's trying to sell myself or trying to ask for favours or thing like that. That's just not at all how I think about it. You know, I think about the number of fabulous, interesting people, yourself included, who I have met by virtue of wanting to reach out to expand my network. You know, we have, you know, again, to use some other language that I know you would use, Helen, around sort of mutual exchange of value, I suppose, in Mm. terms of I can share something maybe about the organisation I've just worked with or the industry that might be of interest or of value to you. You might share something about what you're observing in that particular industry that will be of interest to me. And sure, out of that may well come an opportunity mm. where one or other of us knows of an opening or a type of work that might be a connection for the other, but that may not eventuate. Yeah. It might be an introduction to someone else interesting to talk yeah. to, but it, for me it's a, it's a learning experience and yes. it's, a, it's, a, it's a connection and engagement with other people experience. Mm. Um, Particularly because there could be things like, as we were talking about before we actually came on air, you know, a recommendation of a book, or this is a question that I've been musing with, and it's not necessarily you want the answer from somebody, but it's just like, is other people can give you a sense of, yeah, that is a really interesting question. Oh, you know, have you read this book, or I've been listening to this podcast, this person's inquiring about that same thing itself. So for me, there's a sense of checking in with what else is going on in the world it's kind of a situational awareness of what are the kinds of things people are caring about or where are people connecting and sometimes it's good to know oh this organization is thinking about that or just I've got a sense many organizations are caring about the same thing absolutely it's a for me it's a sense making almost it's a it's a learning and expanding my horizons and my perspectives and it's often a a sense making about what I'm observing or experiencing Yeah. yeah So as we come to a close, are there some tips that you would give people who might be thinking, oh, I want what Jackie's got? How do I get myself this? Or or what is it that Jackie's done that I could actually take away and do for myself? Well, I think that first one that we've touched on extensively around, you know, be the driver of your own enlist help by all means, but know that it it will be up to you to catalyze it is the number one. I mentioned superannuation earlier, and I I actually think that's a specific one I would like to mention because... Getting onto your superannuation early, having a retirement savings plan, which in Australia looks like looks like superannuation, I think is really key. It the fact that I have done that gives me a sense of freedom and possibility that I might not otherwise have. So I was very lucky when I started work. Essentially, my dad said to me, "Oh, look, that nine percent compulsory superannuation contribution ain't going to be enough. It really should be more like fifteen percent." So from the time I got my first, I used my first pay rise, not my first salary, but once I got my first pay rise. At that point, I started salary sacrificing, and each pay rise I got after that, I would increase the amount of the salary sacrifice by a percentage point. I would get some additional take-home pay, but I didn't, yeah. you know, I never, I never lost it. I never, never missed it. Yeah. And behind um, that and, is a, a notion, I think, um, hmm. 
about knowing what you need to live on and you know your means because I think sometimes there's a sense of well I need more money and when I get more money I'll just quickly use that on other things whereas if you can kind of know what is the basics that I need so when I get more money rather than thinking I need that for the current moment it's like no no I can use put that aside for the future. Absolutely. And that notion of pay yourself first. So whether it's then um, savings outside of superannuation for things you want to do before retirement. But for me, you know, I, I anticipated without really thinking it through or forward planning it too much. I thought, well, I might want to have some kids and I might want to have some time off to be with the kids. And if I do have a family, then, you know, part time work might well be more what I would prefer to do, because if there's seven days in a week, then you know, slightly less than that in paid work and slightly more than half of that with my family feels like the right balance for me. Yes. Back to what's worthwhile in terms of what you do in your life, you know, your question from before. So then being on the front foot and topping up my superannuation ahead of time felt like an important thing to do um, and keeping that, keeping that going, keeping a focus on, on super. And then the other one that would occur to me is I think I'd phrase it as like reflection is real work. So taking time to be reflective to be curious and interested and I, I'm saying it mostly in the context of thinking about you know myself or your own personal development journey what brings you joy what are your natural strengths what are some of your defaults and natural tendencies how do those serve you how might you need to work with those over time to grow in other areas you know that's that sort of that deeper adaptive or reflective work is not the stuff that gives you the sort of the dopamine hit from sending off the email or being terribly quick and and productive. And it is the stuff that unlocks so much greater possibility for you in your life and in your future. And I think to that point about that reflection, there's a combination between quiet moments where you're doing that reflection for yourself without the noise of other people. And I think there's also moments which I've experienced with you. I do recall in, in this time that you were off, we met and we sat by the riverside and we had a lovely chat and it went over the hour we'd put aside. That's not surprising <laughs> with us. Um, but there was a sense of a kind of a genuine reflection of both where we were at in terms of I was at the choice of um, making a move away from Melbourne. And so I think sometimes you can have a shared reflection where you're just expressing what's going on in your mind with another person, a trusted person. And it's not necessarily, you're not looking for validation. You're not looking for affirmation. There's just a sense of the stuff that's in my head sometimes needs an airing outside my head. So I hear the words coming out of my mouth and I feel gives them a, a greater sense and substance to feel. And if you are in a trusted moment with somebody who can take that and you gave me the gift and maybe I gave you the gift of just that time to explore out loud together what we were planning and doing. Absolutely. And that's certainly something I've done over these last few months. So once the kids were back at school in in the February and then, you know, what emerges for me next has been a a process of conversation and reflection and sense-making about, okay, I think, I think this is the way I'm going to go. I think this is what makes sense for me now. I think this is what's going to give me what I'm looking for in this next phase. And for me, at least for the moment, and I reserve the right to change my mind, um, at least for the moment. Um, that's not a, a permanent role. That's not a permanent yeah. part-time role. That's working for myself, working on a freelance basis, working with a range of great organisations that I'm partnering with and having time to be with my kids, having time for exercise and self-care and piano and all those good things and having time to connect with people in my network who I really value, having time to you know, provide support to, to family members, having time to connect with friends, having time to contribute to my school community, all the things that, you know, to your earlier question or comment, Helen, 
all the things that make my life worthwhile, all the things that help me be the best version of me and that help me make the contribution to the world I'd like to make, of which mm. paid work is one part that is very important to me and not the be-all and end-all. Yeah. The one tip that I would add in is be very mindful of the people that you choose to be around when you're in these kind of reflective moments because there can be people well-meaning and caring who are tied to the notion of like, well, no, you can't be not working. You know, you, you, that's not going to look good on your resume or there's going to be a gap. How are you going to explain that? And so what I hope people are taking away from this conversation is that it's perfectly fine and valid to have these moments and breaks. And when you want to connect with other people or share what you're doing more openly or hang with them, find people who get that and support that about you because there will be people who don't get it and who with the best intentions and and maybe sometimes maybe it comes from a jealousy as well, like, but that's not how it's meant to be, want to kind of draw you back into a different reality. And if that reality is not suiting you or not what you want, you don't have to go there. It's a very good point. And you're right, often people from a a positive intention of wanting to protect you and keep you safe will push you into or guide you into a more conservative pathway, positively intended, which may not be in your interest in the longer term. Mm. Jackie, this has been a lovely conversation with some wonderful insights I think we can give our listeners. Thank you so much for inviting me, Helen. Really good to chat with you. Workscapes are changing everywhere. For more goodness to change your workscape, visit www.beselfunlimited.com 